Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside my good friend, Justin Garcia, for the first time in a little bit here, a couple of weeks, I would say. Everyone knows Justin. He's on the he's a regular on the podcast, but also during the season, you hear him on the Bucks Radio Network. Justin, like I said, it's been a little bit. How are you doing? Yeah, it feels like it's, uh, we go like two or three weeks. Feel, uh, it feels like the last time we talked, but uh, uh, same old, just, uh, just sitting here waiting. Waiting for the league to get started up again. Yeah, we went through with Frank yesterday and went through a, a bunch of the, the latest updates in, in terms of the bubble down in Disney. But we haven't spoken about that and we didn't touch on everything. So when you looked at what came out and the, the PDF, the 113-page PDF, what, what stands out to you with this return? And is there anything in particular that maybe you raised your eyebrows at that you like or that you find just uh, maybe maybe funny? The, the biggest concern I had going in as somebody who's not going to be a part of the bubble was the fact that we continue to see cases on the rise in Florida. And uh, some of those things that were kind of slipped in there where, you know, if we go back to what a month ago when it was finally unveiled, 731 is when the league is coming back. We basically just got the, the high level context and me. And I think a lot of us all kind of carry the thought of, there's still a lot they have to tell us like for safety and health and testing and what their plans are, but I'm assuming they have those. They're just waiting to unveil it until it's all complete. Uh, my concern once information started to trickle out was it kind of felt like there wasn't really a plan that their plan was 731 Disney. We'll figure out the rest <laughs> later. Um, but I mean, your biggest concern has to be Florida isn't looking too good right now. And if you're saying people, you know, Disney employees aren't going to be required to stay there. That has to be a little bit of a concern. And I think, you know, the things that Kyrie Irving raised were valid concerns. He may not be the best spokesperson, but those concerns were valid. And, you know, that much hasn't really been answered yet. I, I still need somebody to explain to me. I get social distancing, but why some of the things and provisions they put in where you can't play doubles and <laughs> you need to stay six feet away when you're off the court and hanging out in this game lounge with NBA 2K, yet two hours prior, you're on a basketball court breathing, sweating, and touching another player. Yeah, it's all, it's all super strange. We're seeing a lot of weird things like that with sports around the world. I mean, the only, the only thing I can say, or the only reason I could say that makes some sense is that you, it's not just those two teams, I guess, and it's not just teammates. Maybe it's other teams mingling together. I'm, I'm not so sure. Uh, in terms of the cases rising in Florida, there was interesting. I haven't listened to it yet, so I can't speak too much on it but we know there's been talks about disney opening i think that'll obviously be determined by what happens in florida over the next couple of weeks but there was uh our, our, the friends uh, we had lee alice on the podcast so i feel like i can call them friends but the no dunks uh, had a a theme park expert or theme park journalist on their show today and the headline from skeets he said that 
there might be members of the general public in the hotel. I need to listen to that because that doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. It was like, okay, let's push this over the line. Let's get 22 teams. We hadn't really heard anything. It was clear the teams hadn't heard anything about what the bubble was actually going to look like. And now uh, it's all come out and it's, it's, it's a lot to take in. One of the things that's interesting to me, and I, do you play 2K? Because it was just interesting to me that this was one of the things that was featured on the tweets that the players are going to be able to play 2K. I mean, somewhat, but that was another thing that stood out to me. Like, do these guys really want to sit around and play 2K? Yeah, I'm I'm not 100% sure. I've never been a huge uh, gamer, I guess, and I haven't played a lot of 2K, certainly not in the last couple of years. I, I actually take it too seriously. I try and get the stats, like, realistic. I try and run realistic plays rather than just win. So I think that's my problem with 2K. But uh, I guess there's some gamers. But I would have thought they maybe wanted to just hang out in their room and do that. I'm not sure. I just It's hard for me to picture how much socializing is going on. Frank's in the camp that the players won't be too worried about coronavirus. I'm not so sure about that. But I, I, it, there's all this talk about documentaries uh, from the bubble. There's going to be some interesting footage, I'll say that. I mean, whoever does it, just sit on that for 20 years and, you know, down the road, we can have another last dance type of uh, documentary. So I asked Frank this question and this was to end the podcast yesterday. And I said, for me, it's really difficult to imagine basketball coming back. And we both, I mean, going back to when the season ended, it was our, it was our day-to-day life. We'd go to practice, we'd go to the arena, we'd uh, obviously uh, be at Fiserv Forum and it would take up a, a lot of our uh, nights at the arena talking. I'd do post-game radio with you. Can you even really picture, not just basketball coming back, given the current landscape in the world, but can you picture basketball coming back and playoff basketball happening immediately in about six weeks' time? Well, the craziest thing to me is it just dawned on me the other day that, you know, July 30th or 31st, they're returning. We're basically, this is the same amount of time off as you have in an off-season where we just basically sat through an entire off season waiting for it to start up again. And uh, it, uh, like, I don't know that number in the months that you look at where this is almost going to be five months, four and a half months. Uh, that's the same layoff the Bucks had from what Memorial day weekend last year when they were eliminated up until the season started. Yeah. The crazy thing for me to think about is, and I, there's been some talk about this, but I, I don't know what exactly is going to happen with the Olympics next year. But if you're a basketball fan, uh, once this thing starts, you're going to have basically 12 months straight of basketball. You'll get a little break uh, in between the NBA Finals this year and then the start of the new season. Then the new season is probably going to start in December. Roll through the next year to the Olympics. Uh, we've had a little unexpected break here, and it's going to be different. We don't know what's going to happen with fans and if uh, everyone's going to be able to go to the arena, which we hope is the case, but uh, there is going to be a lot of basketball to catch up on in the next 12 months. So put it this way, I don't think we're go- I'm going to have the same situation as I have the last three months filling uh, a daily basketball show with uh, anything I can possibly come Nothing up with anyway. On. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's just, I mean, that, and that's the thing, is it's the same amount of time off, but, you know, whereas before it was four and a half months off and then you start the grind and you get into the regular season and, you know, some of the fan base isn't there with you yet until a couple of months down the road. Now you're getting in there. It's, it's going to be, what, two weeks of eight games? And then here we go. It's the playoffs. 
Okay, so I'm just going to jump in now and give a quick note from our friends at rockauto.com. They're a family business serving auto parts customers. They've been doing so for 20 plus years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto or body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. That's locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. What do you miss about it the most from a from a work point of view? I was thinking about this before because we've seen some news come out that the from a media perspective they're going to have uh, I guess virtual locker rooms and and I I suppose Zoom calls. I mean I, I've had a couple of people ask me whether I'm going. No, I I'm not going to Disney. First of all, uh, there's no chance in hell I could afford uh, to to go to Disney and and stay there uh, for that period of time. But the, obviously with the limited amount of people that are going there, I'm definitely not going there. But the virtual locker rooms, maybe Zoom calls, maybe I'm allowed to jump in on those. I don't know what uh, the deal is going to be. But what do you miss most about the, about the job? Well, and uh, the, I found it interesting that they had, they're doing multiple things where they had, they're basically doing the podium again with select members of the media. And I'm assuming it's going to be pushed back and obviously socially distanced. And then what you said, too, where uh, they're doing a virtual locker room where I, I would assume it's it's zoom and they said what a minimum of two players that'll be required to participate in that. So uh, I'm curious to see how that works out. I know before all of this hit and I think it was the week of where, or the week before, because the bucks were on the road uh, through that weekend, I think you and I were talking about it and that was right when uh, it came down that uh, they were going to be restricting things like the locker room. Yeah. I kind of thought that was going to be gone for years and it may not ever come back. The thing that I miss is just the routine where, you know, uh, it's a seven o'clock game. I'm going to get there at three 30 or so. And uh, coach is going to speak at this time. And then I'm going to go hear the opposing coach and then locker rooms are open um, or player availability, watching the players shoot around and just sinking into that routine where, you know, that first week, it, it was the weirdest feeling in the world to know after, you know, Thursday onward, I had nothing on the calendar where I didn't have uh, Saturday. They're going to have a practice or a shoot around. So I got to get there in the afternoon or Saturday night, they have a game or Sunday. I got to pull some audio and do some prep work. It was just wide open. Yeah. It's such a strange feeling. I, I guess a lot of people don't know that, but when they, there is a game on, we end up at the arena for, yeah, I mean, six, seven hours. It's a, it, it's a long, long time that you're there at the arena. And certainly um, I've probably realized how fortunate I've been to, to be in a lot of those situations. And it's something you miss. Uh, absolutely. One thing I wanted to get to today was I, I caught or I saw some stuff on Twitter that uh, Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz were talking about all defense teams on the low post today. And there was some bucks uh, mentioned amongst this and it was it was a nice little reminder just to go back and listen to those few minutes if you missed it certainly interesting obviously Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz are, are great to listen to talk about basketball but uh, they mentioned a couple of bucks within this and 
just for a for a quick recap without spoiling everything for for you, Kevin Arnovitz had Eric Bledsoe in his second team. He had Brook Lopez in his first team, uh, and also Zach Lowe mentioned Dante as an honourable mention. Uh, clearly, uh, they both had Giannis in their first team as well. That's that's the obvious one. But it made me go back and think about this defense, and I just looked up some of the numbers, and somehow they even surprised me when I looked at them. And this this is this is what I just put up on Twitter. Obviously, the Bucks have the best defense. We know that a one hundred one point six defensive rating, which is uh, three point three points per hundred. Uh, per 100 possessions, better than the second place Toronto Raptors. But the starting lineup of Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Bledsoe, Middleton, and Wesley Matthews had a defensive rating of 89.8 across 408 minutes and a net rating of plus 19.1. When I saw that 89.8, that is something that is normally reserved for a bench unit that plays uh, 50 minutes together, perhaps, not 400-plus minutes. It's insane. Well, and... uh you know, Eric Bledsoe is a guy that we've talked about for a couple of years with his defensive ability. And, you know, it, I wasn't totally surprised to hear him and, and Kevin Arnovitz having him yeah. on his second team there. I wasn't totally surprised, but you're still, it, okay, finally, now guys are saying, yeah, what he does matters and it's really important. Um, but just, you know, the Brooke Lopez discussion, what I found the most interesting in, in art of it's putting him in his first team was the discussion of, okay, if it's, you know, the final minute or so of a game and you need a stop, which of these guys do you want on the floor? Brooke Lopez, Rudy Gobert, or Joel Embiid. And I think Zach Lowe still said ultimately a Joel Embiid, but it was a discussion. And, you know, that's the other thing that we've talked about for a while is I don't think people really realize how important and how good uh, Brooke Lopez is to that scheme defensively. And now to hear these two guys who are you know, probably two of the biggest, if not the biggest analytically forward guys around the NBA presenting this case, uh, maybe now more people that didn't realize it'll start to catch on. But that, the starting five number that you threw out, <laughs> one guy that we don't mention, and he's never going to get mentioned for either of the first two teams, but it's Wesley Matthews. And, you know, I just keep going back to, replacing Wesley Matthews or Malcolm Brogdon with Wesley Matthews. And we, over the summer, just focused so much on the offense when in hindsight, yes, Wesley Matthews can shoot threes, but the biggest change was the defense and how it allowed an already very good defense to do so many different things now. Yeah, I thought the biggest uh, bonus of, of adding Wesley Matthews to this team uh, was offensively the fact that uh, he wasn't a guy that was going to disrupt anything. This is I spoke about that a lot. I didn't really think about the defensive side of things, mostly because uh, he hasn't been known as that defensive player for a number of years because everyone's been focusing on the other end. And he hasn't been really on a team where he was going to be the fifth option. <laughs> you know, that, that wasn't a situation he was in. But you mentioned him. So I, I mentioned the 89.8 defensive rating across 408 minutes. I compared that to last year's starting lineup. And the, the lineup of the, the same four guys, but adding in Brogdon and taking out Wesley Matthews, played 597 minutes together. They had a defensive rating of 106.6. And the starters actually only had a net rating of plus 5.7. So that means that the starting lineup this year, and it was uh, you know roughly uh, just under 200 minutes fewer that they played together. So that's certainly sizable. But the, this year's uh, starting lineup tightened up that defense by 16.8 points per 100, per 100 possessions. I'm laughing just trying to read that. 
And clearly to me, this, this is two things and, and everyone straight away points and thinks that's a dig at Malcolm Brogdon. It's not necessarily that. It was the system, the second year of the system together. I think that it was clearly a motivated team after they lost last year. Giannis went to another level again. Brooke Lopez defensively again went to another level himself. So all this improvement contributed to that. But there's no question, Wesley Matthews, what he's done defensively has been underrated. And like offensively is all I focused on too. And I think the biggest thing we all pointed to was, you know, Malcolm Brogdon came off the 50-40-90 season and it was great. But uh, as we all said, the volume wasn't what you would have loved when you're playing next to Giannis, that you're going to get open looks. And we all pointed to Wes and said, catch and shoot threes. He has no problem doing it. So this is going to be the biggest boost. Whereas it's been the defense. And I know during the playoffs, Malcolm Brogdon did defend Kawhi Leonard at times. Uh, but just the volume of how many times you've seen the Bucks use Wesley Matthews in so many different roles that, you know, Giannis was mentioned by both of them as the defensive player of the year. Um, it, it frees so much up for him, not only Chris Middleton and, you know, for Chris Middleton's improvements, you and I talked about this too. I wonder how much of his offensive improvement, uh-huh. yes, it's the second year in the system, but the defensive assignment that he drew last year, Wesley Matthews has taken that this year. And you know, think about all the different types of players we saw Wesley Matthews defend this year, like James Harden. He defended big men. He defended power forwards and small forwards. So it just opened everything up for the defense even more than it already was. So, uh, yeah, we all focused on the offense, but it's the defense. It's been the turnaround. So I really had to, last year when uh, the sign and trade went through and Brogdon went to Indiana, I, I had to try and take off my Bucks glasses when I was looking at this because in my head, uh, no doubt, uh, Brogdon, I thought, was, was quite effective on Kawhi Leonard when he had the opportunity in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I remember being at those games and, and being surprised at how well he was defending him because we'd seen him against Kawhi Leonard during the regular season and really, really struggled. The, the minute uh, that uh, uh, Chris Milton or Giannis wasn't defending Kawhi Leonard, the Bucks were in trouble. It was too easy for him to draw a foul. Sterling Brown was another guy that they tried. He didn't have much success. So... I, I thought that the Eastern Conference Finals pumped up his defensive uh, credentials, I guess, a, a lot more because it was in the spotlight. And the thing that stood out to me with Wesley, Wesley Matthews straight away this season was the fact that uh, we saw an opening night. He went straight to James Harden. And we saw him on Paul George. We saw him on Kawhi Leonard. We saw him on all these guys right throughout the regular season. So uh, I, I don't know. And, and again, I, I try not to be biased. and I don't want to be biased and, and knock Brogdon for that. But... I thought that right from day one, we were seeing different things with Wesley uh, defensively that we just didn't get with Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, and uh, I mean that the, the the most recent Philadelphia game is really a prime example of the versatility we're talking about because I remember in that game, Wes defending Al Horford at times. He was on Tobias Harris at times. And it wasn't Ben C- He was on um, no, another player in the backcourt. I can't remember now, but just – showing everything that he could do. Um, and, and yeah, I think, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, I think part of what made it even more difficult over the summer for the fans that were on the side of this was a big mistake is you can make a very strong case. Malcolm Brogdon was, if not the best, at least one of the two best players for the Bucks in that series yeah, no question. against the Raptors. Um, this, the, the team number that you threw out too, 
and talked about the gap between the Bucks and the Raptors. I mean, to illustrate even more just how big it is, because you can say it's, you know, three points per 100 possessions difference, and people think, well, three points. But the gap between the number one Bucks and number two Raptors is as sizable as it is between the Raptors and the Sixers, who are tied for seventh. The big thing was that the gap was wide, widening as the season went on. Uh, the Bucks, while they were having their offensive struggles heading into the break, the defense was still rock steady. One thing that I wanted to ask you, because when I heard Arnovitz say that he had Bledsoe in his second team, it did kind of surprise me a little bit. And the only reason it did is maybe because we watched the Bucks too closely. I thought that Bledsoe's defense all of a sudden became a little bit underrated because of Wesley Matthews and because Bledsoe wasn't the guy one-on-one guarding James Harden all the time, which he got a lot of credit for the year before. And people sort of, I don't know whether they just got over it or they, it became old news. I'm not too sure. But it was kind of cool to see that he was still getting that recognition from uh, a, a national media member. And also, I, I think that a lot of this is when you look at the raw team numbers uh, defensively, you're like, well, okay, if we're, if we're looking at all defensive teams, you simply can't just have Giannis in there from the Bucks. They've been too dominant. They've been historically dominant. Yeah, and I, I think another part of it, at least for those of us that are you know around the Bucks and following them, is uh, Brooke Lopez. And I think that has really made Eric Bledsoe uh, even more underrated because yeah, this past yeah. season, Brooke Lopez was the guy that, you know, if you really paid attention, that's who everybody was talking about and saying he was good last year, but he's even better this year in, in spotlighting some of the things that he really did. Whereas with Eric Bledsoe, we almost kind of took it for granted that you knew yep. regardless of whatever offensive funk he may be in, you know exactly what to expect and, you know, what, 95% of the time you got that on a nightly basis defensively from it. One of the other interesting conversations those guys had was around system for Brook Lopez. And, and I, I, I don't think that it's at all uh, discrediting what Brook Lopez does to say that the system suits him. But there's a lot of frustration um, from Bucks fans at times, particularly in relation to the three-point line and the mid-range jump shot. The Bucks have been very clear uh, that their goal is to stop shots at the rip, which you know obviously is the highest efficiency shot you can get if you can get a dunk or a layup. Brooke Lopez holding opponents to 44.1% within six feet of the basket. Incredibly, his blocks per game actually went up this year. So he went up to 2.4 blocks per game from 2.2 last year, even though he was playing 2.1 minutes fewer per game. So I just don't think that it's necessarily a knock on Lopez to say the system hasn't amplified the improvements he's made. He's certainly gotten better defensively. I remember when there was talk that uh, when he was with Brooklyn that the Bucks might be able to make a, a trade for him. He was always one of those guys on, online or in the forums the fans were talking about. Maybe we could get Brook Lopez. And his defense was always uh, <laughs> you know, uh, spoken yeah. about as being terrible. And now we've seen him become this all defensive caliber player but uh there's no doubt for me i don't think there's uh, again i don't think there's anything wrong with saying the system suits him they've, they've simplified things and his job is to stay in the paint and protect the rim and his timing and his discipline is is absolutely unbelievable well and i i do feel and this is not to say that the majority of bucks fans don't pay attention to the numbers but i do feel that over the course of the last two years uh by and large they have gotten smarter and picked up on those things because you know you think back to when they signed Brooke Lopez. It was kind of under the radar, like, oh, by the way, they signed Brooke Lopez to a one-year deal. And thought was, oh, okay, well, there's our center. Um, And you looked at the numbers and you would think, well, I remember Brooke Lopez being good, but 
these rebounding numbers are really weird. I remember the first year everybody would point to, and, and, and people that didn't follow the Bucks either would, well, the guy rebounds, pulls down five rebounds a game. And then you start to watch him and realize, oh, well, it's the things he does, like case in point, Giannis's rebounding numbers spiking because he's playing next to Brooke Lopez. And I just feel like in some of the conversations I've had, I think people heard a lot of that chatter last year and really watched Brooke Lopez more and more this year and picked up and got it and said, I noticed he just did something there that it's not going to be accounted for in the box score, but I saw it. And people started to realize this guy is maybe the best rim protector in the league. I remember it had to have been around Christmas time, one of the games they had against the Bulls, where I think it was Ryan Archie Diacono had a wide open path to the basket along the baseline. And Brooke Lopez was right around the free throw line and just pivoted and turned where he looked and saw, I see you. And Ryan Archie Diacono just pulled back and didn't even try it. Yeah, I think there's been a big fear factor with the Bucks defenders. And this is before you even mentioned Giannis, who we haven't spoken about a lot in this podcast because uh, he's a lock for the first team all defense. We think he's probably winning uh, defensive player of the year. It's really out of only him or Anthony Davis for mine. And I think Giannis is probably going to go ahead and win that. And I believe he'd be the only the third person ever to do the MVP defensive player of the year double. But you're right. There's been a lot of fear factor. There's been a lot of intimidation factor. I, I, the one I always mention is Pascal Siakam, who refused uh, to go into the paint in that second game in Toronto. The, the problem for Brook Lopez in terms of an all-defensive team, and this is why I, I don't know how this... I think the Bucks will have two, but I don't know how it's going to work out, whether it's Bledsoe or Brook Lopez, because... Being a center just just makes things so difficult. We don't know how they're going to classify players. And Lopez, uh, potentially, is battling Embiid, uh, Rudy Gobert, and maybe even Anthony Davis, depending on where they slot him in for only two spots. And that's, that's, that's the tough thing for a center. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the toughest part is, and I don't really know how to quantify this, but if you looked at, and I think far and away the top three of those would be, Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, and, and Brooke. But if you look at those three, Brooke just isn't a sexy choice where you can think of yeah. signature <laughs> plays from Joel Embiid and you can do the same with Anthony Davis. And Brooke is just the steady guy. And you'll look at some other numbers and you'll think, well, he doesn't lead the league in blocks and he pulls down five rebounds a game. And these other two guys do this and this, that I think that's the biggest detriment against it. Do you think that he's going to get in? I don't think he's going to be first team. I think he'll be on the second team. Yeah. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. Again, uh, it's I think there is a lot of uh, bias with things that have happened in the past and, and previous years. Although well, I, I and not to cut you off, but I, I think a lot of it is Giannis too, because you know we've noticed from early on this season, Giannis has been campaigning for him. So I think he'll be one of those ten guys. I just I, just, I, I don't I think it's going to be too difficult to overcome um, what you see from Joel Embiid or Anthony Davis, depending on how they put it in there that one of those two guys will get the one and Brooke will be the second team. So I mentioned the numbers right off the top. Uh, clearly, the historic, dominant, whatever you want to, however you want to describe them, the Bucks defensively this year were absolutely absurd. Uh, that, to me, coming back to the season, uh, I have concerns about guys that were shooting really well, maybe coming back cold, thinking Chris Middleton, George Hill. Uh, I'm concerned about our offensive uh, yeah, rustiness. One thing I'm not, I'm really not, uh, concerned about is the defense. The Bucks system is so simple. They've been together now for two years with not too much change. 
amongst guys and they've, they've shown an ability to start the season really well defensively as well. So uh, I think that's the positive thing. Uh, but it's been fun to talk about the defense. So I was looking up some of those numbers. It was, I, like I said, I was almost laughing, reminding myself how good these guys were. I, I, I don't know about you, but that maybe more than anything, including, you know, obviously, along with the fact that the, the Bucks have Giannis, gives me good hope that they're going to come back in pretty good shape. Well, I'll, I'll say this. The old coach speak of defense travels. Uh, mm-hmm. I, every team is going to be dealing with Russ, I think. So it's yeah. going to fall on who has the best defenses. And, uh, I mean, technically, uh, Chris Middleton wasn't hot at the time we stopped. That was his <laughs> kind of two-game skid where he dipped under 50-40-90. But if you want to look for a positive, we've seen – Certainly this year, and then uh, last year too, um, he got off to some pretty decent starts at the very beginning of the season. So maybe you'll look for hey, it's technically the start of a new season again. Maybe Chris will do what he did. Um, geez, I can't even remember this year, I think, when he <laughs> shot 50% better or better than 50% on his first 30 attempts from three. Yeah, my memory is a little messed up as well. I can't really figure out what season this is, when last season started, what was in the first year of Bud, what was in the second. But anyway, the point is basketball continues to get a little bit closer. And the one thing I do want to mention for everyone, and I'll send a tweet out on the, on the account over the weekend, uh, most likely next week, we're going to do a little mailbag. We did the early quarantine mailbag. Uh, now, any questions you have about the Bucks returning, uh, any questions just for Frank and myself, what we've been up to, anything you want to ask it all, you can get us at Locked On Bucks on Twitter. I believe it's Locked On Bucks at gmail.com. Frank is the, he's the, he's the owner of the email account, so I, I let him uh, control that. But get your questions in. You'll see a tweet, and I'll, I'll throw that out there as well. But, Justin, it's, it's always good to catch up with you. We were able to talk a little bit of basketball. We haven't done that for quite a while. And for everyone else, uh, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.